Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Winging It, the official podcast of the Rochester Red Wings. My name is Nate Rowan. Today we have a long episode, so I will keep it brief here in my introduction. I interviewed Naomi Silver, President, CEO, and COO of the Red Wings. It's about 40 minutes long, longer conversation than we've normally had on these, but I think an interesting conversation with her about what she remembers about her father and her mother and this the fight to save the team in the late 1950s here in town and how she kind of got involved in the baseball life and how her career eventually led to her landing in her current position. Josh Wetzel also flashes back to a game that he called with Rochester's Mr. Baseball on his birthday. Joel Tabelli turns 88 next week on Tuesday, May 26th. So happy birthday, happy early birthday, Alto. Uh, and so Josh will have a listen back to that. Before we get into both of those items, I do want to give a quick shout out to Kevin Prinzing, who's from Penfield, New York. Listen to the Bob Matthews episode last week. If you haven't listened to that, I think that's a great conversation between Bob and Voice of the Wings, Josh Wetzel. And Kevin emails in and says, recently heard Bob Matthews episode. Very good interview by Josh. He spoke of the 1971 Wings team. Could you perhaps get an interview with Bobby Gritch or a few of the other living members of that team? He also has suggestions for the 97 team. He also suggests maybe talking to former Red Wings broadcasters. Josh Lewin, most notably, is is born in Rochester. And Glenn Geffner, who is calling games for the Miami Marlins, or at least will be, hopefully, when baseball returns here this summer. Kevin, appreciate the email and the suggestions. If you have any topics that you want us to discuss or people we should have on as guests, Feel free to email info at redwingsbaseball.com. You can also hit us up on our social media channels at Rock Red Wings, R-O-C Red Wings. We will do our best to incorporate those suggestions. I don't want to spoil anything, but we are hoping to get a few of the people that Kevin mentions in his email. Without spoiling anything, I will say that we are working to try to get some of those individuals on the podcast So stay tuned for that. Once again, thank you, Kevin. All right, here's my interview with Naomi Silver. When your dad saved the baseball team in town here, you weren't born yet, but at what point when you were growing up, at what age would you say were you really started to understand the magnitude of what your dad did for the team here in town? You know, the first thing I remember uh, being at the ballpark was really when the stadium was named for my father and it was a big on-field ceremony. I was eight years old. It, it felt like a big deal, but I didn't really know what the big deal was all about. Um, and the day after that, we moved to Florida. My father had, you know, a heart condition. We moved away. We would only come back to Rochester during the baseball season for a couple of months and and, you know, he seemed like a popular figure at the ballpark, and I still didn't really know what that was all about. But, you know, I guess it was when I started to grow up a little bit and, you know, I, I started to understand the admiration that uh, people had for him, you know, the gratitude. Um, and I could see that, you know, 
people felt that there was that he had done something very special for the community and and I, you know I guess my dad passed away when I was just 15. Uh, it was probably not really until even a few years after that that I started to really have an understanding for what it meant uh, to the community that he had, uh, you know, that he had done something that was really uh, unique and special for this community. You mentioned that when, when he passed away, you were still pretty young. Were there any conversations before he passed away about that whole process or or why he did it or anything like that? Uh, you know, I, I would hear him speak uh, about, uh, about what it, the ball club meant to him and certainly had read so many of the articles surrounding that time period where the team was at risk of leaving, or I guess the team was not, not at risk. It was absolutely on its way uh, out of town and, uh, and, you know, how he felt about it at the time. And that was, you know, he couldn't imagine a, a community like Rochester not having, you know, having the things that make a community livable and having a baseball team, as far as he was concerned, was, uh, you know, a, a priority for families uh, to have for as, as an entertainment option. And uh, he was, a, you know, certainly a big sports fan. Uh, he just, he just, uh, he loved it. He made it very clear. So there was never a question in my mind about what the team meant to him. And then, geez, after, you know, after my mom and I lost him, she was dedicated to his memory and keeping this team alive. Uh, and, and, you know, I guess that certainly filtered down. After, after he passed away, you two moved back to Rochester uh, in 1975. And at that point, when your, your mom started doing some of those things that you mentioned to, to try to keep the, um, the, the, the team going and kind of keep those, you know, his memories going, did you kind of grasp a little bit more about what the team, what the team means to the community here? Uh, most definitely. Uh, you know, you, you only had to go out to the ballpark to, uh, to understand that this was a tradition for families, you know, as many years ago as that was, baseball had even at that point been around for a couple of generations. Um, so there was never a question as to the importance uh, of the team. And, uh, you know, my mom's uh, dedication to keeping the team alive and well and um, you know, was, was certainly an example for me, you know, you, you do what you do, what you're, you do what you're raised to, uh, to do and, and believe in the kind of things that you're, that are ingrained in you. And, you know, that was surely the case in my situation. As you got older and, you know, became an adult, did you have conversation conversations with your with your mother about that whole process to save the team and and just what the what your family went through um to make that happen well you know my dad didn't feel uh, at the time that he was making a sacrifice to make that happen you know he thought he was doing his civic duty you know, that it was almost an obligation if you had the wherewithal to help in a situation like that. So we didn't talk about it 
as though it were his, um, that it, it was an obligation of his. You know, she told me things, you know, about what it meant to him and how, how hard he worked and how important he felt it was. Um, but that was, you know, that was her perspective of how things were. She never, certainly never made me feel like it was going to be an obligation of mine. Um, I think that, you know, when I was young, it, it, it didn't occur to me that I would ever work in the game. It just seemed like that was, you know, the guys were in the business, not, not the women. Um, but, you know, you, you grow up knowing, uh, that something is that important to your family. You, you don't, uh, you don't walk away from it without it having made a big impression. Did your opinion change on, uh, you just mentioned about the, about females working in the industry or in the sport when your mom became chairman of the board in the early eighties was, was that a moment that you saw, or was there a moment where you saw yourself saying, yeah, I could, I could see myself doing this. You know, I really didn't, uh, she didn't work the business day to day. She was a she was a board chair, and you know, as important as the board is to an organization like this, it was still the the nuts and bolts of the day to day operation were still being handled by a front office um, that that um, that worked the business day in and day out. She was there to. Uh, you know the the board is is a is a is a representation of the community. So she was there to listen and maybe to transfer some of that community uh, thought process to the day to day operation to transfer that information to the day to day operation. I don't think um, I don't think she was necessarily she was certainly a role model in, in terms of it of being a strong woman because. God knows she was. I wish I had some of that strength some of the time, but uh, but I didn't foresee it as being uh, role model like for a future career for myself. Your start came in 1988 as an intern. How did that opportunity come up, and what was that first? experience working on the day-to-day -day side of things like for you? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. You know, when I was um, in the early eighties, when I was a young woman, I married a ball player and I traveled with him again, still not thinking along the lines of having a career in baseball, but I traveled with him in the game for the next uh, eight years, I believe it was. And he, um, we were everywhere, big league, minor league, winter ball. Uh, we were everywhere over that period of time. And I, you know, you, I, I had a lot of exposure to a, a, the way a number of different ball clubs were run and what made it them tick and what, what succeeded and what didn't. Um, and when we came home one winter in 88, I believe you're correct there. Uh, we came home one winter and they needed a little help in the Red Wings office. And, uh, and my mother volunteered me for that. And I started working in the office and, you know, 
oh, it all sort of made sense to me. And uh, I guess I tried at that point to bring a few things that, uh, that I had seen elsewhere um, to the table. And, and also, I guess I had a real passion for the business that was starting to unfold. And I just threw myself into it, you know, very much like one or two of our interns every year will show that kind of uh, real interest in the game, the operation, and, you know, probably above all else, you know, making uh, fans happy, making the community proud. You know, you, you take a lot of pride working for the ball club. Um, so that was, that was a big driver for me. And then the following year, you take a, a role with the team store. Was that a full-time role with the team store? Uh, yeah, it, it certainly turned into a full-time role. Uh, that Those were the days I, I want to say that, you know, in minor league baseball, the uh, activity in the retail department had, you know, had really started to take on momentum. Uh, you know, our, our, um, logos and our merchandise was becoming more and more, um, you know, something that fans wanted to see. And it just became a little bit more of a sophisticated business. And uh, yeah, and I, I got involved there and, and it, things got, it, it, we got a fair amount of attention from the community in that department. So that was very good. I enjoyed that. How would you say the team store back then has changed to what we see when we walk into a team store at basically any prof professional or collegiate sport team store? You know, I think, uh, well, certainly the, the uh, offerings are vastly greater than they were back in those days. You know, back in the day, we relied on, you know, the staples, the hats and and the uh, t-shirts and key rings and that sort of thing. Uh, and of course, I'm exaggerating that a point. We, we still had quite a bit of merchandise, but nothing like it is today. Um, and today, what, what had really changed the business uh, in, you know, in the last 20 years was um, all of the vendors that we use now are uh, those that need to be licensed to sell, to produce minor league baseball product logos and so on. So uh, the merchandise is much, I want to say much of the merchandise is a higher quality there. You know, it's not, um, it's not, uh, you know, simply a throw on a, on a logo or a screen print. Now it's, it, you know, they have to go through all kinds of um, approvals in order to be allowed to be a, a licensed provider and, uh, and, and what they provide has to also be approved specifically. So it's, you know, it's just a, a better grade of, of material. As you went on through the years, the next couple of years after the team store, you did some other things, um, but the most notable probably is the formation of Rochester Community Baseball Enterprises, which is the food and beverage wing of the Red Wings. For people that don't understand how concessions work, many teams have 
have to basically outsource their concessions to another company. For example, I know Ken Young in our league who owns Norfolk also owns Ovations, which is a concession service that um, that some teams use uh, around and uh, baseball, hockey, just different venues. Why was it important for you to to get that off the ground and get that started? Well, one of our greatest revenue lines is uh, food and beverage. And uh, back at Silver Stadium, prior to Frontier Field, we had always outsourced our food and beverage and as do almost all teams. And I, I just saw an opportunity there that, you know, if we wanted to improve a product mid-season, using an outside vendor, it wasn't a given that, that they were going to be able to, uh, to pivot quickly to, to create the change that we were asking for. It's just not quite that simple when you're working with a third party. So um, that was important to us. You know, we wanted to be able to say, hey, this product doesn't look good. They, the manufacturer must not be doing the same thing. We're going we're gonna to start buying from someone else and, and bring somebody else in. We could do that immediately. If we got, you know, if people were complaining about something, we could make the adjustments necessary and we could do so and and save ourselves you know that extra commission that we were paying them and and pass those savings along to our customer um, which we've been very successful in doing all of these years since then so it just seemed like a great opportunity you know you mentioned ken young and norfolk owning ovations well he owned ovations prior to buying his ball club and the other teams that he he has subsequently bought um he was in the food service industry and that's how he got involved in baseball instead of the other way around he's not involved in ovations anymore um but he still runs his own food service so you know for a few of us who decided to take that on or you know or, or still people making those decisions um it can be very good. On the other hand, it can be it can be a tough business, uh, and some ball clubs that take that on decide to uh, to revert back and and let the let the burden fall on another on an outside company. You know, for us, it's just been it's been perfect. We are as close to perfect as you can get. We we love to uh, we love to be able to respond to our customers. Um, in a real timely way, and uh, the, there's no better way than the way we're doing it right now. Was was there inspiration from other teams that you pulled when it was first starting, or what were there challenges in the first year or couple years while you tried to get, you know, firm footing on how that side of the business was going to run? Well, you know, whether you you're self-operating as a ball club or you are uh, or you are uh, leasing out your concessions operation to an outside vendor like ARA, Aramark, Sodexo, um, you're only as good as the manager of your food and beverage uh, department is. Um, and, you know, that's you can struggle finding the great a great food and beverage general manager. Um, we've been real lucky. Um, we have Jeff DeSantis, who is just fantastic, and Jeff Dodge for 20 years before Jeff DeSantis. And, you know, Jeff Dodge really, um, he, he made his mark on this business. 
no one no one has done the job better you know he's chaired the restaurant association in new york and he's just he's just known how to run this kind of an operation and that has been invaluable to us um and you know i guess i knew from the very beginning i can i can hire the a great general manager just as well as an outside concessionaire can can so if uh, why not give that a try why not you know why not take it in and we've been very fortunate so about that same time that the food and beverage arm was kind of started the discussions began about a new ballpark in town and i'm wondering just given that it was named after your late father it was clear that the facility either needed upgrading or just needed brand a brand new facility. Was that a tough thing for you personally, trying to lobby for a new ballpark while also understanding the namesake that it, it held with your dad? Well, you know, we went through a renovation in 1986 back at Silver Stadium. You know, at that time, we felt like we couldn't afford a new stadium. We needed to we needed to renovate, and we did that. You know, put uh, put a fair amount of money into it. You know years later six eight years later we started to think about a new stadium because we really had had so many different facets of the old stadium had become i would say almost obsolete um fans were starting to just really want more and they had a new stadium in buffalo and people were seeing what buffalo looked like when you have a new stadium 60 miles down the road people become familiar with what's new and exciting in stadiums and and people locally felt that they wanted to see that kind of thing so i think that you know my mother and i talked about that an awful lot in those days and it was what would my father have wanted he would have wanted whatever it would have taken to keep the ball club successful and if if that meant uh, a new stadium he would never have given it a second thought uh, in taking his name down from a stadium that he that would just wasn't he wasn't of that ilk he would have given that up in a heartbeat if if it meant the the long-term uh, success of the ball club and so we never looked back you know once we started to to push for a new stadium it was all all systems forward how much fun was that first year in the ballpark uh more fun than i can uh ever explain it was you know magic it was definitely magic everything about it um it was a season that was unforgettable and it certainly ended up that way um you know you you can only dream of such a such a season where you you come out you know drawing the biggest crowds you've ever drawn in a beautiful new stadium that everybody was just so impressed with and then walk away with a with a big trophy for the championship there's nothing like it <laughs> nothing yeah. like it very jealous that uh that they got to experience that first year in a ballpark brand new kind of one of the as as mar foley said on a earlier podcast the the taj mahal of the minor leagues really when it first opened um it really was one of the more popular new ballparks in the game and you know nate you you mentioned uh you know moving on to a new stadium the major leagues had a lot to do with that because and i should have mentioned this 
there were, were new uh, stadium requirements that were, were really gonna make Silver Stadium, um, uh, make it impossible for us to have upgraded Silver Stadium to the extent that the major leagues were, were going to require. So um, it really, it was necessary. I, I don't know how we would have retrofitted uh, Silver to accommodate the things that they were asking for. So uh, it, it all sort of came together at once. We just it just had to be done. And gosh, you know, how can you how can you ever second guess what's been so great for this community for all these years now? As you were talking, Naomi, the the thing that popped into my head was it sounds a lot or it seems similar to similar demands from Major League Baseball that they have now for some, especially for some of the lower teams in the minor leagues. Do you see any comparison between those demands and what we've seen here in the last, what, 12 months or so from Major League Baseball? You know, um, uh, it's been uh, only rumored as to what some of the things that uh, Major League Baseball is going to require from their minor league uh, affiliates. So we don't know exactly what uh, they're talking about um, having us do to our stadiums to make them more um, fan friendly. I guess it, it's really going to be more player friendly. Uh, so I'm not sure. I, I can imagine that it's going to cost each of us quite a bit of money to uh, make the changes that they're talking about. But hey, look, you know, in 20 years, we've been working uh, under certain stadium guidelines. And over the course of 20 years, a lot changes in any business and things, things progress. You know, there are hardly, uh, I can't think of a business out there that 20 years later doesn't require some change to its office building. Uh, it's, you know, the amenities that their, that their employees are requiring things change there is no doubt and when you when you draw you know 3 to 500,000 people in the course of a year there are going to be things that that uh, wear down that need to be replaced that need to be revisited uh, so i can i can understand that that there are going to be some uh, requirements that probably a lot of them make sense we'll just have to uh, We'll just have to wait and see and then hope that they give us a fair amount of time to address those issues. You know, I wouldn't want to have to do everything that they're asking for immediately. That would probably put a lot of us uh, in a tough spot, but, um, but we're going to have to do them. You know, who knew that, that we'd have as many, uh, as many players and coaches as we do uh, in our clubhouses these days. And, um, you know, who knew that, players were going to be required to work out at the ballpark to the extent that they are today. But, you know, athletes have become more and more and more fine-tuned. They just need more. There's no doubt about it. Fans expect more and players need more. So we'll take care of it. As I, when I moved here, so for people who are unfamiliar, I joined the team right before the 2015 season. So I think I started here March 2nd or something like that. And I've tried to go through the history of the team as deep as I, I, can, I can and use the offseason for that. And I've used this unfortunate time during the pandemic to try to understand it a little bit deeper and, and, and know a little bit more about 
you know, what the team stands for, what it stood for and kind of where it's been. And one of the most obvious things that I find in researching is so many minor league teams switch affiliates and you've got all sorts of different major league teams that a minor league team has been represented by throughout the entire course of the Red Wings. They've only had three major league affiliates the Cardinals initially, the Orioles in the early sixties through 2002. And then since 2003, it's been the Minnesota twins. And part of that has to be that major league front offices like working with our leadership group. And that includes you. And you were a big part of that with the Orioles and now uh, with the twins. Why, why would you say, or why do you think teams have, have had such longstanding relationships with, with the Red Wings, given that we don't have a major league affiliate right around the corner. Hmm. You know, when we became affiliated with the Orioles uh, in 1961, that was my father's doing. And the Orioles were just about as stand up classy an organization as there could ever be. The ownership was remarkable. The front office was amazing. Just, you know, and, and the relationship that my father had there was just outstanding. And it carried over. Uh, they had just wonderful people at the big league level with the Orioles for quite a long time. And then, of course, you know, ownership changed a few times. Things remained quite quite good for uh, for a long time, even still. Uh, and then, you know, towards the end, it got a little tough that you know, minor leagues were not as important to them as they had been in previous years. And and we were struggling and didn't really see a way out of it. And the fans got, you know, fairly unhappy with our affiliation. And that in the end is, you know, when you have to make a move. So uh, that's what happened there. And the twins, you know, I think I always said that the twins organization and the people involved uh, when we became affiliated with them, reminded me so much of the Orioles back in the day, just really quality human beings, you know, people that were upfront with you, that were communicative, that, that you could really be close to and you, and you develop close relationships. Um, and, you know, and the twins are, they're a great group. Things have changed there in the last few years. Uh, so we, you know, we, we don't have the, the, that, quite that same relationship but these are these are great bright minds at the big league level and uh and they've shown they've shown proven themselves uh to be really great baseball people and you know we've been proud to be affiliated with them you know we we regret that this year has uh has has been what it is because we probably would have had a really great team this year you know we we are it's it's very disappointing, but we'll get them next year. 2007, they donated or they somebody made a, a statue featuring your dad and the young baseball player. I think a lot of people think that it's your it's your son in there, but that's not true. Correct? That that is correct. You know, uh, my father didn't uh, didn't didn't sit for that for that pose, uh, but. We had to we had to think of a way to represent my father's caring for the youth of of the community and and we 
we decided to depict that scene where you know he had his arm on the shoulder of a of a young ball player, um, and it you know it just felt like that that is what it it was all about for him. And you know if if that hadn't been his uh, his passion and you know his his hope and dream for this community, we probably wouldn't have baseball today. Uh, it probably would be a distant memory for people. And so that was in tribute to what we thought would be, was important to, to him. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, uh, at, my son happened to be about the same age the, as that, uh, as that statue, the, the youth in that statue. So I, I definitely get the, the, how how people would draw that conclusion, but it's really meant to be representative of all the young folks that come through those gates. That ceremony to dedicate that that sculpture was uh, was pretty impressive. That the people that came, both politically, city, county, state level, past and present, and then guys like Joe Altabelli, Rochester's Mr. Baseball, and then. Earl Weaver, who managed the Red Wings for a long time. What did it mean to have those kinds of people come and just what did it say about not only your dad, but kind of how the team uh, meant to so many of these great baseball people that we've come to know? Yeah, you know, Joe Altabelli and Earl um, were, they were very close to my dad and you know, my dad, again, having been gone since 1974, they remained so loyal to me and to my mom over all of these years uh, that it, it, was, it was really remarkable. And I know that they, they both felt that loyalty because my dad had, you know, had been so loyal to them and, you know, so appreciative of everything that they had had meant to the team and, uh, and, you know, and obviously a more personal feeling about them, uh, with each other, you know, my dad and Earl were very close, my dad and Joe very close. And, you know, they just, they just never lost touch with me and my mom to make sure that we were all, you know, well and doing fine. Uh, I don't know, just so special, those relationships. And you just never forget them. Elto's birthday is next yeah, week, by the way. On sure Tuesday. is. Uh, he turns 88 years old. Uh, do you have any uh, any stories, favorite stories of, of Joe, maybe, maybe not on the field, maybe behind the scenes that you um, want to chat about? Will you allow me to cry? As long as we're not doing video, I should be able to get through this okay. You know, Joe Altabelli is a special human being. You know, the way he the way he took to Rochester and, and made it his own and the way Rochester embraced him and has for for all of his almost all of his adult life, even when he was managing in the big leagues or coaching in the big leagues, Rochester was home. Uh, that's that's a very special relationship that um, that he has with this community. Um, when um, when Joe became our general manager here in Rochester, 
and Nate, you probably can tell me what year that was, 90, early 90s, uh, maybe 1992. 1992. You know, when I walked into uh, his office every day, it was, uh, it was, it was kind of like walking into my dad's office, you know, not the same office my dad had ever occupied, but it was like seeing my dad there. And I think, you know, a lot of people kind of felt that fatherly uh, type of feeling from Joe. But to me, it was just very special. There is, you know, nothing will ever compare to, to Joe. The, the, the guy that we see on the field when you think of Earl Weaver was this fiery guy and he was known for his ejections and his personality and all sorts of things. He, he was from at least hearing you guys talk about him, you know, off the field, he really seemed like a stand up guy. What do you remember about Earl? Well, you know, um, Earl has, had always been, uh, always been a very good friend. Uh, he, um, he and his wife were lived in Miami uh, during the off season uh, for quite a few years. So we spent a fair amount of time with them there and all, of course in Baltimore and so on. So we're pretty good friends. You know, he's, he was, uh, he was a fun, uh, fun loving, uh, interesting guy. You know, listen, all the guys, uh, all the old timers in baseball can tell a story like nobody else, right? I mean, former athletes or people formerly in the game, boy, they have they have some great stories. But and and Earl was just like that, life of the party kind of guy, uh, a lot of fun, great great wife, great daughter, um, and just a just a wonderful uh, wonderful friend to have, and you know definitely fiery no question about it but you know back in those days that was kind of uh, he was the epitome of kind of a fun manager you know he and billy martin they kind of made baseball fun to watch on a different level all right so i'm gonna i'll, I'll get you out of here on this you've been the president ceo coo of the team since 2010 and a lot has changed since uh, since you've taken over, but in the course of your time with the Red Wings, whether it's the concessions work or the work that you've done in your current role, what are you most proud of with the team? Well, you know, first, Nate, I, you know, 2010, I became uh, president and CEO, but, you know, that was sort of, that was a title that I, I feel like not much has changed in quite a bit longer than that because my role didn't really change at that time just sort of a title uh, what am I most proud of I guess I I think I'm proud of the fact that you know throughout this we have uh, we have a ball club that will sustain itself over the many decades to come in a ballpark that's really beautiful that's been kept well and and we can enjoy this stadium for a long time to come. Uh, I'm proud of the fact that we have some incredible people in our organization that, you know, it's really unusual in a minor league organization to have people that stick around for a, for a long time. Uh, it's hard work, demanding is all get out, 
but we have people that have been with us for a, an awfully long time. You know, Dan Mason, you know, how about our chairman of the board, Gary Larder, just incredible human beings that, you know, this ball club would not be the same without those folks and, and people, additional people in our front office that really make it what it is. And, you know, when someone walks through that door uh, to work for the Red Wings, we can assure people that these, that these folks care as much about the fan uh, as any part of this business. It is all about how our fans feel about the Red Wings. And, you know, I, I, that's, I'm most proud of that. Thanks for uh, this conversation, which ended up going longer. I'm sure that you anticipated, but I think the conversation was so good and your stories are so good that I can listen to you talk, especially about your memories from the past pretty much all day. So I appreciate you spending as much time with, with me for this as, as you did. Thank you so much, Nate. Thank you. I really appreciate that. I really do. And now Josh Wetzel has a flashback to a game that he called with Rochester's Mr. Baseball, Joe Altabelli. Okay, well, coming up on Tuesday, May 26th, Rochester's Mr. Baseball, Joe Altabelli, will be celebrating his 88th birthday. So today on this little Red Wing flashback, I thought it would be fun to listen to a game from one of Joe's birthdays in the past. Of course, Joe and I worked together for several years on the Red Wings radio broadcasts, and I selected the game from May 26, 2008, which would have been Joe's, let's see, 76th birthday. And the reason I selected this game is because, honestly, it's the only uh, only game I still have a recording of from one of Joe's birthdays. Uh, this is, again, from May 26, 2008. Fortunately, it turns out to be a pretty good game. The Red Wings against Charlotte. Francisco Liriano, of all people, on the mound for the Red Wings as he was still uh, on his comeback from Tommy John surgery. There are some exciting moments during the game, some good plays. It goes right down to the end, as you will soon discover. So let's flash back now to May 26, 2008, the Red Wings and Charlotte at Frontier Field. All right, welcome back to Frontier Field on Memorial Day, May 26, 2008, alongside the birthday boy, Joe Altabelli. I'm Josh Wetzel, Dana Sazinski in the studios. Thanks for joining us for Wings Baseball. Joe, what did you get for your birthday today? Uh, well, I got a birthday cake. John okay. Philippone, who uh, sits up here, he brings a birthday cake. Not only to me, but guys that are in the press box that have uh, birthdays. He's always there with the Wegman's birthday cake, no doubt about it. He's uh, quite a guy. I really enjoyed a piece of that cake tonight, too. Good. Today is also Kevin Mulvey's birthday. He's 23. Wow. <laughs> I should be so lucky. <laughs> it's also Kaz, Kaz's birthday. Yeah, official score Warren Kazareski's birthday today. Some other guys, too. We'll mention that a little later. Francisco Liriano getting ready to go to work. Left-hander who, in 2005, thoroughly dominated Charlotte twice, makes the start against the... Charlotte Knights here. He'll be facing Getz, Bourgeois, and Richard in the first inning. Sun overhead right now, 78 degrees. The wind, as Joe mentioned, blowing out to left at a pretty good clip. Yeah, it looks like we might dodge a bullet here rain-wise anyway, partner. You know, and tomorrow is supposed to be a little shaky, but we might get that one in. But after that, Wednesday through the weekend is supposed to be just nothing but gorgeous sun. Tony Oliva here tomorrow night, sun and autograph. Yes, it'd be nice to see him. He's going to do it for two days and two days running, isn't he? Yeah, Tuesday and Wednesday nights. 
All right, up comes Chris Getz, the second baseman for Charlotte. Triple-A rookie hitting 297. He's a left-handed batter. And Francisco Liriano winds and fires. And it's a strike called over the outside corner to get us going today. Liriano 0-2 with 393 ERA. And the delivery low, one ball and one strike. Over his last four starts, however, Liriano's ERA, 277. Only allowed 22 hits and eight walks his last 26 innings. Those to a breaking ball down and away on it gets two and one on Chris Getz leading off the game. Liriano in the wings in their black jersey tops and the home white pants. Charlotte's in their road to gray uniforms with the sleeveless jersey tops. They got the dark blue sleeves underneath. 2-1 pitch. Gets lines one hard down the right field line. And that is a fair ball bouncing into the corner. Darnell McDonald goes to dig it out. Gets heads to second base. Will try for three. Base acts relay throw from the second base position. Won't get him. And Gets leads off the homestand with a triple. First triple-A triple for Chris Getz. Looked like that ball got stuck down in the corner and McDonald had to go really dig that out from deep into the corner. Yeah, he got there in plenty of time, partner. And we are blocked off from the view right in that right field corner. So he must have either bobbled it a little, but uh, boy, that ball was hit very smartly by Getz. Right away, a threat for Charlotte. They've got Getz at third with nobody out. And Jason Bourgeois, the hitter. Wings play into the corners, and the delivery to Bourgeois is dribbled up the third baseline foul, strike one. Mark Bombard, the longtime minor league manager, coaching third base for Charlotte, scoops that up. And Busher in at third, Santos at short, Basak at second, and Jones shallow at first. Watkins in left, Pridey in center, McDonald in right, and Morales is catching Francisco Liriano. From the stretch he goes, and a breaking ball blooped into right field for a hit. Getz will score, and it's 1-0 Charlotte. And Bourgeois will try for two and make it ahead of McDonald's throw. A little floating double for an RBI down the right field line. Bourgeois just muscled that out off the fist into right and winds up with his speed getting a double out of the deal. Well, I heard you mention on the air on the road games, you know, how we have to play from behind all the time, and we've given up a lot of first-inning runs this year already. One zip Charlotte, none out. Danny Richard, a major leaguer on a rehab assignment, is up there next. Left-handed batter who's gone three for 13 so far on this rehab assignment with the uh, Charlotte Knights. Already, Liriano, without getting an out in his first inning, has allowed more runs to Charlotte than he did in two starts against the Knights in 2005. First pitch breaking ball, finds the outside corner, strike one. In 2005, Liriano pitched against Charlotte twice, beat them both times, and did not allow a run in 15 innings, giving up only four hits in 15 innings against Charlotte. Bourgeois leads at second, and Liriano pitches, off-speed and in there, 0-2 to Danny Richard. That was a magical year for him, though, partner. He had it all going for him. And it continued on right at the major league level until he hurt himself. Gets tripled to begin the game, then Bourgeois doubled him home. 0-2 on Richard. The delivery, a check swing and a ball up and in, and he went after it, strike three. Richard and the check swing called out on strikes with an appeal to the third base umpire, David Ewell. 
So there's the game's first out. And the dangerous Brad Eldred coming up. All six foot, five inches, 275 pounds of him. Eldred hitting 264. Second in the league with 17 home runs. And he leads the IL with 45 RBIs. Wow. That's amazing. You know, we're not even... We're not even two months into the season, partner. He's got 45 runs batted in already. Bourgeois takes off for third. The throw won't get him. And Bourgeois dives in safely with the steal. He's at third base and a ball one count on Eldred as Liriano missed with a first pitch changeup. Runner at third, one out, Joe. I was just going to say, he picked the right pitch to steal on a change. Oh, an RBI chance for Eldred waiting for him 90 feet away. The delivery swung on, grounded off the end of the bat to third. Busher will fire home. Morales with the tag, and Bourgeois out of the plate on a feet force slide. So even though Busher was not playing in, he's able to throw out Bourgeois trying to score. Fielder's choice for Eldred. He's at first with two men out, and it remains 1-0 Charlotte. Good play by Busher at third and yeah. Morales at the plate, too. Busher did a fine job. And I'm, you know, Busher, he throws across the diamond. He's got a good, accurate arm across the diamond at first base and also at home plate then. Well, Eldred at first. Royce Huffman is the fifth hitter to come up this inning for the Knights. Right-handed batter against the southpaw, Liriano. And the pitch, high, ball one. One-nothing Charlotte in the first. Wings in the bottom of the inning will face young right-hander Lance Broadway, who's having a good season. Huffman sitting 257 as he bats against Liriano. The pitch on the way, a changeup for a strike, one and one. Now Liriano's last time out, he got a no decision Tuesday in Syracuse in a game the Wings eventually lost in 10 innings. He allowed two runs and in seven innings on eight hits and one walk. And it was another solid start for Liriano as he continues his comeback. He delivers, and a breaking ball rips inside for a ball. Two and one to Royce Huffman. Jones holds on Eldred at first base. It's odd to see Jones get towered over by somebody, but that's the case at first with Eldred over there. Here it comes. Fastball popped him up. The shortstop Santos into shallow center. Backpedaling now. Mm, cannot catch it. It falls in behind him, and Eldred will wind up at third. Runners are at the corners. Santos drifting back on that pop-up to shallow center. Just kept drifting, and as it turned out, I think it would have been an easier play for yeah. Pridey, the center fielder. With the wind blowing the way it is, you're right. I mean, you know, and Pridey kind of gave up on it once he thought, once he may have heard uh, uh, Sergio, but that ball just carried and kept on carrying. And it's going to go as an error on Santos. I don't think he got his glove on that. May have. I don't know. Huffman is at first. Eldred at third base. And Thomas Calero coming up. Another right-handed batter against Liriano. The delivery. Swing and a miss at a changeup. Fading down and away. Strike one. Calero hitting 244 with four home runs. And only a dozen games so far for Charlotte. He was a double-A Southern League All-Star a year ago. Charlotte won wings yet to bat. Liriano's pitch. Swing and a miss at a tailing fastball away. And it's 0-2. Now Eldred at third base. Huffman at first. 
on that pop-up that fell in. Hitting room in right center for Thomas Calero. And time has been called, and Morales wants to go out to the mound and talk things over with Liriano. It's going to be interesting today to see how both these teams react considering their overnight bus trips into Rochester. The Wings got back home at about 4.30 in the morning. Charlotte arrived here in Rochester from Allentown at about 4 in the morning. So quick turnarounds with the first pitch today at about 4.05. That's life in the minor leagues, partner. You know it well, too, don't you? I'm groggy. 0-2 pitch, off speed and low, 1-2. and two. <laughs> I can guarantee you that. Well, snap out of it. <laughs> Lariano trying to strand men at the corners and keep Charlotte at only a one-run lead. The lefty's pitch swung on and ripped down the left field line, headed for the corner, and a foul ball. A foul ball hit well deep into the corner down that left field line. Boy, he had some kind of swing at that ball. He golfed it. Yeah. Off the bat, I thought that would be foul easily. Yeah. But it was staying fair for a long ways. He just hit it so good. I mean, it didn't really have that much of a chance to hook, but it finally did go foul. It'll be another one-two pitch. It's on the way. Fastball fouled to the screen, and it remains one and two. One-nothing Charlotte. Chris Getz let off the game with a triple, and then Bourgeois sliced an RBI double. He wound up getting thrown out of the plate trying to score and a fielder's choice from Eldred. Liriano pumps it home and a fastball just inside yeah, and he did. wanted the strike yeah, call. He sure did. And that sure looked like it could have been called a strike. Two balls and two strikes instead on Thomas Calaro. Pete Peterson saw that one inside a bit. Well, he, you know, he's got nobody to blame but himself. I mean, he's right on the inside part of the plate over the catcher's inside shoulder. And the delivery, up and in, a changeup that missed. And that will fill up the count, meaning Huffman now will be in motion on the Liriano pitch. Liriano's had to throw some pitches now in this first inning. Jones will not hold on Huffman at first. So he will get an uncontested lead as Eldred leads off in foul ground at third. Now Liriano's payoff. Swing and a miss. He got him with a 3-2 change. The strikeout ends the inning. But a run for Charlotte. Could have been worse for the Wings. Two hits and one error with a pair left on. And after a half inning, on Memorial Day, Charlotte won. The Wings are coming up. on hot talk. Wings with some coming back to do, though not a huge deficit after a half inning. one nothing Charlotte. And Tommy Watkins will stride to the plate, leading off the bottom of the first. Lance Broadway on the mound, a 6-3, 190-pounder from Texas. 24-year-old made his major league debut last year with the White Sox. And the delivery to Watkins is inside for ball one. Broadway this year, 5-2 after nine starts. Seventh in the league with a 2.43 ERA. Fastball hits the outside corner. It's 1-1 one one on Watkins. Broadway, a former first-round pick of the White Sox. He quickly works it home again, and Watkins grounds it by the mound to second. Getz has it to his right, and he throws the first getting Watkins one away and Broadway a first round pick in 2005 out of Texas Christian so he quickly made it to triple a in fact he made his Charlotte debut with one appearance in 2006 
Last year, 8-9 and nine for the Knights with a 4.65 ERA, and one of those losses right here at Frontier Field against the Wings. Jason Broadway, or rather Jason Pridey facing Broadway now, and Pridey will look at a strike 0-1. Well, his uh, hits per innings pitched is pretty good. That fastball's low, one ball, one strike. I think he's pitched uh, 59 in the third innings, only given up 51 hits. He unloads, and a changeup swung out and missed, one and two. 16 walks, 32 strikeouts for Broadway. Pitched in four games, making one start at the end of last season with the White Sox. He delivers, and Friday lines one through the right side, hooking a changeup into right for a base hit. A one-out single for Friday, who's aboard in front of Darnell McDonald. Wings down to run as McDonald comes up to face Broadway. And Friday will be held on at first by Royce Huffman. Chris gets it second. Danny Rashar at short. Googie Dawkins, longtime IL player at third base. Fernando Cortez in left. Jason Bourgeois in center. Brad Eldred in right. And Jared Price does the catching. First pitch to McDonald right in there. Strike one. And McDonald could give us uh, the lead right back here if he can get a ball in the air to left field. All right, now batting 315. He's got four home runs. A team high 26 RBIs and a balk called on Broadway. Lance Broadway balk. Did you spot what he did, Joe? No. Well, I think he started and stopped and then tried to start again. And you can't, you can't do that, obviously. I don't know whether he was thinking about stepping off the rubber or not, but once he started... Once he started to go into his motion, he had to continue on, but he kind of paused. Throws the 0-1 to McDonald and sneaks that one in at the knees for a strike. It's 0-2. Broadway boxed the tying run into scoring position. One out and a nothing and two count to Darnell McDonald. The right-hander at the letters with a pause and the two-strike pitch. In the dirt, bouncing away from the catcher, Price. The ball rolling back to the screen, and Pridey speeds the third on the wild pitch. Well, we're getting closer and closer to tying this on, on three pitches. <laughs> that haven't, the ball hasn't been hit yet. One ball, two strikes. And Mark Bombard early in the game here, ordering the infield in. So lots of holes for McDonald to shoot for now. Broadway out of the stretch. Delivers. And McDonald swings and misses. A little slider strikes him out. A big strikeout for Broadway. And now that infield can afford to back up as Brian Busher marches up there for Rochester. Wing cleanup batter, Brian Busher hitting 307. Leads the team with seven home runs. 23 knocked in. Broadway will continue to work out of the stretch. He unloads to the left-hand hitting Busher. A swing and a high fly ball to shallow left. In comes Cortez. The left fielder puts it away. And that's the inning. No runs, one hit. Brady eventually left at third. And after an inning at one more silver way, the Wings trail on Memorial Day. It's 1-0 Charlotte. 1-0 Charlotte after an inning. The Knights come up now in the top of the second. And this will be our Jacob Stein Food Service trivia inning for today. First correct caller at 222-1280 will receive a gift certificate to Keenan's Restaurant at 1010 East Ridge Road. 
first pitch of the inning to Fernando Cortez taken for a strike on the outside. 0-1-1 in this left-handed hitter. Manning 3-0-1 right now for Charlotte. Liriano brings it back to the plate. And a breaking ball swerves outside. One and one. We will have a Minnesota Twins pitching related question today. First Liriano's 1-1. Here it comes. Cortez leans away from a breaking ball inside. Two balls and a strike. He's thrown him three, three curve balls in a row here. The first two he tried to hit the outside part of the plate, and that one he tried to throw at the hitter and to break it on, on the inner part of the plate. Here's a pitch that's bounced to the right side. Jones takes it on a big hop wide of the bag. First baseman throws to Liriano covering, and they get a 3-1 to one put out at first base. One down ahead of Gookie Dawkins. But here are, here's our trivia question for today. Prior to Johan Santana, who was the last twin to win 20 games in a season? Prior to Johan Santana, the now-departed ace lefty of the twins, who was the last twins pitcher to win 20? Called 2-2-2-12-80. Yuki Dawkins at the plate. It's his 15th IL game of the year. Dawkins hitting only 143. And the pitch to the right-handed hitter is a high changeup, it looked like, for ball one. And Dawkins began the season with that uh, struggling Lehigh Valley outfit. 1-0 pitch. He swings and hits one high in the air to center. Pretty well tagged. Pridey going back onto the warning track. Makes a backhanded catch before running into the fence. Well, Dawkins, not really known for his power, gave that one a good ride. But Pridey to the left of straightaway center made the catch about 390 feet away from the plate. Pridey had to get on his horse on this one because the wind's blowing out and that ball just kept carrying. I was afraid that ball had a chance to go out because there is a strong wind blowing to left and left center. Well, now the hitter is Jared Price and the first pitch fastballs rolled to short. Santos up with it, the throw to first in time and that is a quick inning for Francisco Liriano. One, two, three, he does it on only seven pitches. We played one and a half at Frontier Field. Charlotte one, wings nothing on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. Garrett Jones will lead off the Red Wings bottom half of the second. Charlotte one, wings nothing. And Bob Grossman of Rochester, a Jacob Stein Food Service trivia winner today. Bob knew that the last twin to win 20 games prior to Johan Santana, Brad Radke, who did it in 1997. So Bob receives a gift certificate to Keenan's Restaurant, locally owned and operated at 1010 East Ridge Road, where they're open for lunch and dinner seven days a week. Famous for their artichoke or chicken French at Keenan's Restaurant. Lance Broadway on the mound for Charlotte, throws the pitch to Garrett Jones. Left-hand hitter takes a strike, 0-1-1. Ken Williams, the GM for the Chicago White Sox, has compared Lance Broadway to a Brad Radke type. Wow. The 0-1, a swing and a miss, 0-2. Yeah. Radke wasn't overpowering with the fastball, but he was a fierce competitor, and he just he just battled you. And he ended up winning 20 in that small ballpark. The Broadway pitch hits the inside corner near the knees, and a called strike three gets Jones. Garrett unhappy with it, but he becomes the second strikeout victim for Lance Broadway. Now it's Randy Ruiz's turn. Here at the game, it's all about making it home, and that's something the people at Farish have always known. From Brockport to Canandaigua, 
Brighton to Arondequoit, Farish communities are where families, seniors, and singles slide into home at the end of every day. Find your ideal living space at Farish.com or call 244-1886. First pitch to Ruiz, a fastball low and outside, 1-0. Righty to righty, and the delivery. That's a strike in the outside corner, 1-1. One one. Broadway really working at a quick pace. Yep. And also worked in the corners very well. And Charles. that's exactly what you do with a guy that works quick. You step out of the box and take a little more time. Here's the next one. Ruiz lines that hard to left, but Cortez jumps and has it go off his glove. Ruiz reaches on that line smash to left. Cortez took a step in, and the ball almost carried over his head. He jumped up, tried to put it in the leather, way up above his cap, but the ball sprung free. Well, that was kind of odd because to start with, Joe, I thought the ball had topspin and was going to yeah. sink. Well, I think maybe Cortez thought the same thing because he broke in really about two or three steps and then had to jump up in the air and it went off his, off his glove. It'll be a hit for Ruiz on that bullet to left field. Wing second hit off of Broadway and now Ruiz at first with hot hitting Jose Morales in the box. Pitch to Jose, lined over the shortstop and into left center. Ruiz will round second, but hold on as Bourgeois gets to the ball. And a 10-game hit streak now for Jose Morales, 16 for his last 35. Boy, he hit that ball so nice. Red Wings with a tying run at second, go-ahead run at the plate. And Sergio Santos ready to dig in. Getting back to Morales, he is starting to hit like he did a year ago. Well, he came into that plate appearance hitting 301. Yeah. And it's been a struggle for him. He had a tough month of April. First pitch to Santos. That's lined to center field. And Bourgeois has to play it on a hop. The bases are loaded now on three straight singles for the Wings. All three of them hit hard. Mm. Ruiz at third, Morales at second, Santos at first, and Chris Basak, who drove in the Red Wings' only run a day ago in Pawtucket, coming up to the plate. And Ruiz, Morales, and Santos all with hard-hit singles here in the second inning off of Lance Broadway. Yeah. But Ruiz got a break. Left fielder should have handled his ball, even though it was hit very well. Now the Wings with an excellent chance of tying and maybe going ahead in this game. The Broadway pitch to Basak is a sinker too low. And ball one. Broadway has induced seven double plate grounders this year. So he's hoping to get number eight. He fires. Basak takes that for a strike. One and one. Well, Basak's tough to double. He runs fairly well. Runners all around. The first baseman, Huffman, playing about even with a bag. The other infielders looking for two. Broadway pumps it home. Swing and a pop-up. The second baseman pointing it out as Eldred moves into very shallow right. The right fielder making the catch. Ruiz coming home. And the throw beats Ruiz by a mile. Price tags out Randy, who tried to shoulder into the catcher, but he was out by 10 feet at the plate. The Basak flies the right. Ruiz thrown out by Eldred at home. That's the inning. No runs, three hits, two left. And after two, still 1-0 Charlotte. Two innings over at Frontier Field to start the homestand. 1-0 Charlotte. 
Wings had them loaded with one out in the bottom of the second, but Chris Basak's fly ball too shallow to right field. Brad Eldred caught it and then easily threw out Randy Ruiz at the plate. I think that throw would have gotten Ichiro as well. I mean, <laughs> he just uncorked a great throw, and it was really a strike to the catcher. Chris Getz leading off the top of the third looks at a strike from Liriano. Getz scored the run in the first after a leadoff triple. The 0-1, a breaking ball outside, one ball and one strike. I believe Eldred in college at Florida International pitched a little bit. Oops. Oh, he's got a strong arm. Well, he's big enough to have a strong arm. Liriano goes to a breaking ball and curves it outside. Two and one on Chris Getz. I think what made the play is he didn't use the ground at all. Of course, he was close enough, but he really threw a strike. The catcher didn't have to move. The wind and the pitch. Fastball missing outside at the belt. And Getz has the count in his favor. Three balls and one strike. Liriano right back to the plate. And a swing and a little floating pop-up back a third. Santos, the shortstop, running over, makes the backhanded catch. A step in foul territory. Pretty good play by Sergio Santos at short. Well, one gone in the third. That's five straight set down by Francisco Liriano. On our Toyota out-of-town scoreboard, it is a final from Pawtucket. The Paw Sox blast Scranton-Wilkesbury 11-5. And they move into a flat-footed tie atop wow. the aisle north. Both teams 32 and 20. <laughs> They've scored 31 runs in their last three ball games. Jason Bourgeois, who drove in the first inning run for Charlotte, stands in and takes a fastball strike, 0-1. Durham and Norfolk playing a doubleheader today in Norfolk. And the red-hot Durham Bulls won the first game 7-1. Off-speed, swing and a miss, 0-2. That win for Durham, their seventh in a row. Joel Guzman hit his 11th home run in that game for the Bulls. Guzman's been hitting about a home run a game lately. Liriano's two-strike pitch, swinging a ground ball, hit right at the third baseman. Busher fields and throws. A little bit of an off-line throw to first, but Jones takes it, backs out of the way of Bourgeois, and the out recorded. Those two up, two gone. Yeah, Jonesy did a good job with footwork then. The throw was a little high. He anticipated it. He backed off the bag. He actually slowed the runner down because he went on the foul side of the bag. And when a fast runner sees that, they have a tendency of slowing down a little bit. Now it's Danny Richard's turn. He struck out on a check swing in the first. The pitch, fastball, bounced off the handle, up the first baseline, foul. Strike one. Norfolk leads Durham in game two there in that doubleheader. 3-1. They're in the sixth. The other games in the I.L. have not quite started yet on this Memorial Day. Here it's 1-0 Charlotte. Liriano pumps it home and a nice breaking ball darts over the outside corner. 0-2. Very sharp slider that time from Liriano. His next pitch to the left hand hitting Richard. And that's a slider in the dirt. One and two. Yankees lose today. Baltimore six. Wow. New York one. That snaps the five-game New York winning streak. Garrett Olson beating Daryl Rasner today. The matchup of two guys who began this year in the International League. The Liriano pitch. A fastball line to left. Watkins right there. And Tommy makes the catch to in the inning. Second straight one, two, three frame for Liriano. And we're in the middle of the third in downtown Rochester where Charlotte leads it one to nothing on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. 
Charlotte leads the Wings 1-0. Red Wings coming up in the bottom of the third. Tommy Watkins starts it off. And first pitch swinging, he'll swing and miss with the pitch from Lance Broadway, 0-1-1. With that wind whipping the flags out toward left. The right-hander fires, and Watkins rolls one off the end of the bat to short. Richard charges and boots it. And Watkins safe at first without a play. Richard charging it short, had the ball go in and out of the glove. Wings again with that tying run on base and Friday coming up after the error on the shortstop, Richard. Friday pulled a line drive single to right in the first inning. One other American League final today. Kansas City loses their eighth in a row. Toronto seven, Kansas City two. First pitch to Friday. Slugged on a line to right down the line for a hit. Eldred goes to chase it down, cutting it off near the corner. His throw comes toward first base, so Friday gets a double, and Watkins goes to third. And the Wings in business in the third inning. Second and third base runners and nobody out. I'll tell you, Eldred made a real nice play just getting to that baseball. It was hit so hard. He cut it off before yeah. it hit the warning track. And I'll tell you what he also did. He made the, the proper throw back into the diamond. He didn't throw back to second base, and he... He hit the first baseman right there at the bag. A base hit could give the Wings the lead here. McDonald at the plate. The first baseman, Huffman, plays in. The other three infielders back. And the delivery. Lined to right center field into the alley. Eldred won't catch this one. It bounces out to the track. The Wings will take the lead. Watkins and Pridey both score. And McDonald's thinking three. The relay not attempted. Darnell flops in with a two-run triple. And it's two-to-one Wings. Well, McDonald looked like he had made up his mind he was going to go the other way with this with this pitch. He was kind of anticipating a breaking ball. And he got something up, and he just rifled it to right center. And now a trip to the mound from pitching coach Rich Dotson. That's the fourth triple this season for McDonald, who ups his team-leading RBI total to 28. Watkins reaches on an air, Pridey a double, then McDonald a triple. And the Wings have their first lead of the game. And Joe already six hits for the Red Wings yes. off of Broadway. Well, they let this guy Broadway off the hook in the last inning. But they got a big break when Watkins uh, got on leading off the inning with the air to the shortstop. And then, boy, a big double and a big triple. And the Wings are in business, and they got a man on third with nobody out. Maybe may add to their lead here. Busher the hitter. The infield most of the way in now. And Broadway's delivery, a wave and a miss at a first pitch change, strike one. I'm surprised the first baseman's playing so so close here. He's even to the bag or maybe yeah, even a step I, yeah. inside that. I'd have to back off. The 0-1 lined over the second baseman said that's a hit the right for Busher and an RBI. McDonald walks home to score, making it 3-1 Red Wings. Busher's 24th RBI this season and still no outs this inning. The Red Wings are a home run shy of hitting for the cycle this inning. Red Wings uh, with at least three hits in the last two innings. This one and the second. Garrett Jones digs in and Broadway misses outside on the first pitch to Garrett this time for ball one. Yeah. 
I'm also surprised that nobody's warming up in the bullpen. Short lead for Busher. Broadway's pitch swung on and nicked foul behind the plate. One ball, one strike. Three runs, seven hits for the Wings. And six of those seven hits just in the last two innings. Broadway pauses letter high. He fires, and a changeup is swung on and missed. One and two. Good changeup there from Broadway. Yeah. National League side of the scoreboard, Atlanta beat up Brandon Webb today, 7-3. Webb's second straight loss for Arizona. They're in the 11th in Washington. Milwaukee's just gone ahead, 4-3 over the Nationals. Broadway throws the pitch. Jones hits a high fly ball to left field. Wind blowing that way. Cortez back, and this is out of here. Into the visitors' bullpen. It's 5-1, Red Wings. Jones' home run completes the cycle for Rochester in the third. Wow. Well, the wind helped that one, partner, but Jones got under it a little bit, got enough wood on it, and he's so strong, the ball just got into that jet stream, and he hit it in the right area. It just did miss that the Bermuda triangle there. Just got into the visitors' bullpen. Fourth home run of the year for Jones. His second in the month of May. Randy Ruiz is the hitter. Still nobody out. And the pitch to Ruiz, a cutter outside, 1-0. and So after Watkins reached on the air, Pridey doubled, McDonald tripled, Busher singled, Jones homers. The pitch fouled away way off to the right. 1-1 one and one on Ruiz. This is the biggest inning for the Red Wings in forever, it seems like. Five runs in the blink of an eye in this bottom of the third inning. Here's the pitch, grounded to third. Fielded to his left by Dawkins. Throw across the diamond, gets Ruiz for the innings first out. So there's one down in front of Jose Morales. They're in the eighth in Chicago. Cubs two, Dodgers one. And that wraps up our Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Toyota, a smart way to keep moving forward. Everything else in the big leagues a little later on today on Memorial Day. So what an inning for the Wings so far. A five-run inning giving Francisco Liriano a four-run cushion now. And Jose Morales, who singled sharply his last time up, is the batter. Broadway's pitch, up and in, ball one. Jose, with his single last inning, pushed his hit streak to ten games. Broadway unloads, and Morales pulls a bouncing ball foul to the first base dugout. It's a ball and a strike. Well, the Red Wings so far giving Joe something to be happy about on his birthday. <laughs> well, they got their hitting shoes on today. Here it comes. Morales swings and lines one through the middle for a hit. Jose's two for two. And the two hits today, Joe, look so much like hits we saw from Morales last year That's when he right. would be locked in. And you could tell last month or in April that he was a little confused at the plate. And it even uh, got to where it bothered his catching a little bit. But, boy, has he come on like gangbusters. He, you know, he's, he's really hitting, I, would, I don't want to say within himself, but what he's doing is he's taking what the pitcher gives him and he's going with the ball, and that's when he's at his best. 
Santos swings and misses at a first pitch change. Strike one on Sergio. Wings have picked up five hits in this inning alone. They have nine hits for the game, and there's no action going in the Charlotte pen. 0-1 to Santos, tapped on the ground to short. Richard underhands to second for one. The gets throw to first, gets Santos for two, and that 6-4-3 twin killing ends the inning. But a big, big inning for the Wings. Five runs on five hits and a big error. Nobody left on. At the end of three, the Red Wings five, Charlotte one. Well, and Francisco Liriano left the mound after one, two, three, top of the third. He was trailing one nothing. He takes the mound for the top of the fourth with the wings ahead of Charlotte, five to one. And Brad Eldred leads off this inning against Liriano. Big right-handed batter waiting. And the lefty Liriano with the inning's first pitch. It's a curveball for a strike, a one-to-one. Eldred, Huffman, then Calero in the fourth against Liriano, who has set down seven straight. He winds and fires. Eldred takes inside for a ball, one and one. Eldred with those 17 home runs, second in the IL, only to Mike Hessman of Toledo, who has 19. And the pitch swung on and skied the right along the line. Darnell McDonald circling back to his right, quick makes the catch. The wind playing games with that one. Yeah. Well, it actually brought it back to the middle of the field for him. That ball, if it was no wind, the ball would have really sliced and almost uh, be close to the right field line. That one was fairly deep, but McDonald knows about the wind. One down and nobody on for Huffman. He reached on an air in the first, the pop-up that fell in. Royce Huffman's a right-handed hitter. And Liriano, after a long look at the signs, now pitches. And it's low. It's ball one, and Royce Huffman. Wings five, Charlotte one in the first game of the homestand. 7.05 games here tomorrow night and Wednesday night. Then an 11.05 a.m. game Thursday. The pitch called a strike, one and one. Twins great Tony Oliva here signing autographs tomorrow night and Wednesday night. That business person special on Thursday. Liriano throws it home, and he nicks the inside corner, one and two. The Scranton Yankees are here Friday, starting a four-game set. Fireworks after the games Friday and Saturday nights. So a lot going on in this busy homestand at Frontier Field. Liriano guns it home, and a swing and a ground ball foul to the third-base dugout. And a look at the upcoming Wings home games, brought to you by the University of Rochester Medical Center, medicine of the highest order. Found out more online as far as these upcoming Wings home games are concerned by logging on to RedWingsBaseball.com. Liriano kicks and delivers. Swing and a dribbler out in front of the plate. Liriano comes in to get it. He turns, fires the first, and retires Huffman. Liriano threw that about 95 to yeah. first base. But two outs, and Francisco has a shot at his third straight three up three down inning will be facing Thomas Calero who so far is one of Liriano's two strikeout victims four run lead for the wings as Calero steps in the wind and the pitch fastball outside ball one Mark Bombard clapping his hands down in the third base coach's box 
He's won nearly 1,650 games in the minor leagues as a manager. Calaro lines it to left. Watkins moves in, makes the catch. And that out ends the inning. One, two, three again for Liriano. He is retired at 10 men in a row. Wings five, Charlotte one as we go to the bottom of the fourth on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. Ball one count to Chris Basak leading off the home fourth for the Wings. Broadway's next pitch hit by Basak to left center. A fly ball that Cortez calls for and the left fielder hauls it in. Two pitches and one out in the bottom of the fourth. Along with the birthday boy, Joel Tabelli, I'm Josh Quetzal, Dana Szczynski in the studios. And the five-run Red Wing third has them ahead of Charlotte, 5-1. Here's Tommy Watkins, who began last inning reaching on an air by the shortstop, Richard. And that opened up the floodgates. Broadway's delivery. It's low for ball one. We mentioned earlier, Joe celebrates his birthday today with... Kevin Mulvey from the Red Wings. 1-0, low to a nothing. Official score, Warren Kozareski's birthday is today. One of your favorite former players has a birthday today, Daryl Evans. Wow. 61. <laughs> Watkins takes a strike, 2-1. You're right, he's one of my favorite players. Only because I thought he was just a very, very good player. Broadway fires, and Watkins smokes a line drive hit to left. Cortez cuts it off to his right, holding Watkins to a single. And that is the 10th hit of the game for the Red Wings after they got four hits all yesterday in Pawtucket. One out base runner ahead of Jason Friday, who already is two for two with a double. One of your favorite former teammates celebrates a birthday today, too. Jim Fry. Oh, yeah, I know Jim. Yeah. Yeah, Jimmy's birthday. He's a year older than yes, I am. That's yes, that's right. Friday yeah. swings and misses, strike one. You know, Jim Fry and I have known each other a long time. I was in a tournament. He was from Cincinnati, and I was from Detroit. And we had a baseball tournament when we were high school age in Louisville, Kentucky, and that's when I first met Jimmy Fry. Change up down and away, one and one on Friday. That's a long time ago, partner. Yeah. We were both left-handed pitchers, and we played another position as well. And because we stayed in the same hotel, because it was a tournament that lasted the weekend, the delivery, low and outside, two and one. And then you wound up playing together here in Rochester, right? No, I've never, I never played. Oh, I thought you I played never with played him. on the same oh. team as Jimmy Fry. You were on a coaching staff with him, though, right? Well, he was a general manager when I was okay. with the Cubbies. Friday swings and misses at a change, two and two. He managed the Cubs, and then he also went on to be the general manager gotcha. of the ball club. He's the guy that hired Zim. Zim, okay. and, Zim and he went to high school together. In Cincinnati. In Cincy, yes. Watkins at first with one out. Red Wings lead by four. There goes Watkins. The pitch is inside. The Price throw to second, and Watkins is out with an awkward yeah. head first slide. Tommy trying to avoid the tag from Richard, but shortstop had that tag waiting for him. Boy, that catcher threw the ball really quick. Watkins out easily at second base. Catcher had the wind at his back, but it didn't matter. He threw a strike. The payoff to Pride, he reached for, hit in the air to right, should be the inning. Eldred over toward right center, makes the backhanded catch while jogging, and that does it for the Wings. No runs, one hit, nobody left on. And we've now completed four innings on Memorial Day. 5-1 Rochester on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. 
It's the fifth inning at Frontier Field. The Wings scored five in the third and lead Charlotte 5-1. Fernando Cortez leads off the inning against Liriano. First pitch hacking. He fouls a pitch back to the screen 0-1. Cortez, Dawkins, and Price in the fifth inning for the Knights. And the sun is out, partner. The sun is out. That's up and in from Liriano. One ball and one strike. Yeah, bright sunlight on the field. We ought to start, yeah, we ought to start all the games at 4 o'clock. <laughs> the pitch swung on, rolled up the middle. The second baseman, Basak, shuffles in front of it. Pegs the first in plenty of time. And Cortez, uh, Cortez is out. 11 in a row set down by Liriano. Now it's Dawkins' turn. Dawkins hit a high drive to center that Jason Pridey eventually caught on the warning track back in the second inning. It is Memorial Day, and I stumbled upon an interesting story on the minorleaguebaseball.com website written by Kevin Serwinski, guy that you and I both know. The pitch to Dawkins taken for a strike 0-1. You know, 4,000 minor leaguers served in World War II. 4,000 4, minor league sure. baseball players. Well, you're talking about the Second World War. There were a lot of minor league clubs back in those days, partner. Yeah. 0-1. Dawkins pulls a ground ball to third. Busher wide of the bag, fields and throws. And Dawkins is out. Two gone. Yeah. When I worked out with the Dodgers uh, right after I graduated from high school in 50, I worked out uh, for three days with the, with the Brooklyn Dodgers. And I, I saw a room there where I counted 26 minor league teams on the chalkboards in this room. It was like a classroom, but they had chalkboards. And in chalk, they had... They had the uh, all their clubs. They they had 26 minor league teams, three in AAA. The pitch to Price lifted in the air to left. The wind shoving it. Watkins back onto the track, and this is off the fence in the Bermuda Triangle. The dimensions yeah. take a home run away from Price, who has to settle for a two-out double. That's exactly right. <laughs> Now that ball was hit well, but the wind really carried it, and it really did carry it over the triangular area of the bullpen and, and landed on the other side of it against the wall at the 390-foot marker. Now Price had been one for his previous 19 for Charlotte. That hit off the top of the fence, it looked like. A double for Price. He's at second. Lead-off batting, Chris Getz takes a strike that paints the outside corner, 0-1-1. Well, that ends the string of a dozen straight set down by Liriano. Wings up by four. Getz, who tripled and scored in the first, a left-handed hitter. And the pitch, a rollover bouncing ball to first. Jones scoops it up, underhands to Liriano, but he won't get there in time. Getz beat him there for an infield single. A slow roller wide to first. And Getz was too quick. So now runners are at the corners with still two outs. And Liriano must deal with Jason Bourgeois. Bourgeois doubled in the first run for Charlotte. Grounded out his last time up. Liriano had a very quick and easy inning starting, getting the first two men in a hurry, but then Price hits a double off the fence, and the infield hit from Getz puts him at first and third. 
Liriano stretches. The left-hander fires. And Bourgeois takes a popping fastball high for ball one. Top of the fifth, the Wings lead 5-1. Liriano unloads. Swing and a line drive, base hit to right field. Price will score, get stopped at second. It's now 5-2. And Danny Richard will be the tying run of home plate. Two-out rally put together here by the Charlotte Knights. Wow. Baseball's really flying. So much for that theory about getting into a town, you know, and traveling all night, isn't it? This club, uh, Charlotte, got in at, what you say, at 4 o'clock, and we got in at 4.30. Seems like they've been sleeping a week. <laughs> Rashara, left-handed batter. Time called now before the pitch. Well, three two-out hits in a row have resulted in a run for the Knights. First and second runners as they trail the wings 5-2. to two. Here comes the pitch to Richard. It's outside for a ball, 1-0. Five hits allowed by Liriano. No walks, two strikeouts. Takes a long time looking in. And Rashar has had enough. He calls time. On each of those Liriano strikeouts, by the way, Monroe Oxygen and Medical Equipment has made a donation to the upstate New York chapter of the National Multiple Sclerosis Society. The Wings thank Monroe Oxygen and Medical Equipment for their part in helping to strike out MS. Ball one count on Rashar, the pitch. Yeah. Low and outside, 2-0. I'm sure Liriano would love to get this guy. He doesn't want to face the guy in the on-deck circle, I don't think. Very good point. Brad Eldred, big country on deck. Liriano behind Richard, two and nothing. Now a spin on the rubber, throw to second, and back scampers the runner, Chris Getz. Santos had gone to cover. He did not... Yeah catch the throw cleanly. That was going to be a fairly close play, I, though, at second base. I was just going to say that's probably going to be the closest play we've had like that since last year when we picked off a, about a dozen at second base on that same type play. Yeah, the Wings have not picked anybody off at second all year. News travels fast, partner. And Morales has to go out to the mound and talk things over with Liriano. They're unable to get together on the signs. Yeah, the Wings were highly successful with that pickoff at second with more than one pitcher, a bunch of oh, them. Oh, I think eight or nine different guys picked somebody off at yes. second base last year. It was remarkable. Red Wings five at Charlotte two in the opener of the series. Two and, a, uh, two and nothing on Danny Richard. Liriano brings it home, and he misses down and away. Just barely missing with a look like a slider. Meanwhile, 3-0 on Richard with the dangerous Brad Eldred on deck. The look to second. Liriano powers it home. Fastball down and away. A four-pitch walk. And they're loaded up now for Eldred, who with one swing of the bat can give Charlotte the lead right back. You know, what's amazing, too, here, Joe, Liriano got the first two guys out, and then Price, one for 19 with 11 strikeouts, is the guy that begins things by slamming a double off the fence. 
Yeah, you know, it's only amazing because both clubs are really fighting to try to get back to 500. The Wings are, what, 13 under 500? And this club, I believe, is 9 under 500. Charlotte is. And they are starting to swing the bats, and, and it looks like it's a pretty darn good ball game. And Lariano's run into a little snag here. Boy, he needs an out badly. Eldred up there, 17 home runs for him. And the pitch is a fastball too low. Well, ball one count on Eldred. Five pitches in a, mo in a row now have missed from Liriano, who is dealing with the IL's leading RBI man right now. Eldred is 0 for 2 in the game with a fielder's choice and a flyout. The 1-0, a swing and a little tapper foul behind the plate, and it's 1-1. One one. Tying runs are on. Eldred, the go-ahead run at the plate. Former Pittsburgh Pirate looking down at his manager, Mark Bombard, who just gave him the grand slam sign, I think. <laughs> yeah. Eldred, a hulking figure in the batter's box. Liriano taking a long time looking in. Now he brings the hands together. He throws. And a slider's in the dirt. Two and one. 5-10-1 for the Red Wings. 2-5-1 for Charlotte. And Eldred's got to be thinking about trying to elevate one with well, the I, way that wind is blowing. Hard to say. You know, some guys just want to get the good wood on the ball and, and hit it hard somewhere. The stretch and the pitch. Swing and the ball drilled deep out to left center field. Friday is going back as this one flies out of here. And Brad Eldred's grand slam has just given Charlotte the lead right back at 6-5. to five. Wow. A monstrous home run to left center field. A grand slam for Eldred. Well, there was no doubt about that one once he hit it. And he got it up there. And I, even if the wind wasn't blowing, that ball had a, would have had a chance to get out of here. Eldred's 18th home run, and he now has 49 RBIs. Luriano just kind of staring down at the mound in disbelief. Yeah, well, he had, like you said, he had the front two guys out easily on infield ground balls. With the ninth place hitter up there when everything went haywire. Royce Huffman stares at the strike, 0 1. And now Lance Broadway, who's allowed five runs on 10 hits, is going to get a chance at a win, perhaps. The 0 1, breaking ball outside, one ball and one strike. Of course, I have a sneaking suspicion that 6-5 is not going to be no. the final score in this game. Uh, I bet on it that it won't be the final score. Huffman 0 for 2. Liriano out of the full windup. Guns it home. And that's poke foul back over the screen. It's a ball and two strikes. That is Eldred's third home run of this Charlotte road swing. Only the second home run allowed all year by Liriano. Here's the pitch. Hard slider in the dirt. Two balls, two strikes. And Liriano had given up one home run in 39 innings. Prior to that, Brad Eldred grand slam. 
that's what you call a first-class home run. I mean, it was just tallywhacked. 2-2 pitch outside to fill up the count. You know, Eldred's grand slam just missed the video board in left center, went to the right of it. Had it been five feet to the left, it would have been way up off the video board. Might have had a chance at sneaking over it. Here's the pitch. Yeah. Squibb foul of the plate on a 3-2 change. I would say that ball went at least 500 feet and, and then some. I wow. Would, I would think that would be, a, a, especially with the wind. You know, he hit it hard enough on a normal day. He would have probably hit it over the fence. But the ball really did carry as well. Called strike three. Liriano gets Huffman looking. And Huffman can't believe it. He thought it was ball four. So that wraps up the fifth. The grand slam from Eldred completes a five-run inning for Charlotte. And if we go to the bottom of the fifth, the Knights now lead the wing six to five on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. Five runs given up in the fifth by Francisco Liriano. Maybe the toughest inning he had in a Red Wing uniform. Liriano would wind up getting pulled from the game in the seventh with two men out. So he went six and two-thirds innings this day, allowed six runs, all earned on seven hits. The six earned runs were the most Liriano ever gave up in his two years in a Red Wing uniform. Wings were still trailing on Joe Altabelli's birthday, 6-5, to five, when they came up in the bottom of the seventh. Wings down a run as we go to the bottom half of the seventh on Memorial Day. 6-5 Charlotte, batters 9-1-2 and two for the Wings this inning against Lance Broadway. Basak 0-2 tonight. Basak the hitter in the second inning when the Wings of the base was loaded with one out. Did a shallow fly to right that Eldred caught. And then he cut down Randy Ruiz at the plate who tried to tag and score. First pitch of the inning. Low, it's ball one. Just the 82nd pitch of the game for Broadway. Boy, and he does take, he doesn't take any time between pitches at all. Over the top he comes, fastball away, two and nothing. The surprising thing is that he's still in there pitching. The Texan with the wide and the 2-0. And that's low, three and nothing. On our Toyota out-of-town scoreboard, Scranton lost in Pawtucket today, 11-5. Pawsox ripping six home runs. The delivery taken for a strike. Pawtucket moving into a tie for first with Scranton with that win. Durham and Norfolk split a twin bill in Norfolk. The delivery. Swing and a ground ball rolled to the shortstop. Richard handles it. And the throw to first gets Basak by a step. Five in a row set down by Broadway. That's two leadoff hitters that he went 3-0 and on and got them both out. Last inning, Ruiz was 3-0, uh, and and he popped his, uh, on a 3-1 pitch, popped the second. And on 3-1 pitch, ground out to short here by Basak. Up comes Watkins. Tommy's one for three. Durham won the first game of that doubleheader today, 7-1. Norfolk took the second game, 6-1. And Watkins now loops one into center. That's a base hit. The Watkins gets his second hit of the game, dinking one into center field. And the Wings with the tying run aboard and Pridey coming up. Buffalo will run in the second. They lead in Toledo 1-0 in the second. Indianapolis and Lehigh Valley have not started yet. Neither has Syracuse and Richmond. Same goes for Louisville at Columbus. Righty to lefty with Pridey the hitter. And the pitch, a changeup floating in for a strike, 0-1-1. Two finals in the American League. The Yankees lost today in Baltimore, 6-1. Toronto beat Kansas City, 
none of the other AL games have started. The 0-1 shot foul off to the left, up into the stands. 0-2 to Pridey. Twins are off today. They will play in Kansas City tomorrow against that Royals team that has now dropped eight in a row. National League Atlanta beat Arizona 7-3 this afternoon. Pitch to Pridey, swung on and missed. The ball in the dirt strikes out Jason. And Broadway notches the strikeout his fourth and a big second out of this inning. Does he throw a split finger? That looked like one kind of. It sure did because the bottom dropped out and Friday chased the ball and bounced. And that's what you normally do with a splitter. You try to throw it knee high and let it bound, bound in the ground and guys chase it. Darnell McDonald next up for the wings. Watkins still at first. And the right-handers pitch cut on and missed. Strike one. Milwaukee 1-11, 4-3 at Washington. Cubs beat the Dodgers 3-1, and that is the out-of-town scoreboard presented by Toyota, a smart way to keep moving forward. Here at 6-5, Charlotte. The pitch, fastball up and away, 1-1 one one with McDonald the hitter. Darnell, one out of three, a two-run triple to his credit today. All part of that five-run third that gave the Wings at the time a 5-1 lead. And the pitch swung out and missed. McDonald tried to hold up about two-thirds of the way through, but could not. He's kind of sitting on a fastball, and I don't know whether that was a cutter or a slider, but once he saw it spinning away from him, he tried to hold up his bat and couldn't. Watkins inches away from first. And a throw over there will send him yeah. back. Yeah, this looks like a very smart pitcher out there. You know, because usually you'd let this guy hit with uh, with two outs and keep Watkins from stealing. The delivery rolled foul over to the third base dugout. Still one and two. Now with two strikes, you don't mind trying to steal him and you give this guy a chance if Watkins gets thrown out. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Watkins run. Yeah, well, he did try to run. He was thrown out back in the fourth when he singled and was out caught stealing. Catcher made a good throw. Tommy does not go, and McDonald holds on a pitch in the dirt. Two and two. Oh, that that looks like another split yeah, finger there. That did look like a splitter. Wings have out hit Charlotte 11 to 7, but they trail by a run, batting in the last half of the seventh. Broadway stretches and pitches. McDonald swings and drives one in the air to center field. Bourgeois going back out to the warning track, and that's off the top of the fence. Watkins, the third, is being waved home. Richard cannot get a handle on the relay, and Watkins scores to tie the game. McDonald at second base with a game-tying RBI double. It is six to 6-6. That ball was a foot from going out, partner. It hit high off the wall in the straightaway center. You're going to take a peek at it. I tell you, it lacked a foot from going out of here. You're right, a foot higher, and that ball is out of the ballpark and gives the Wings the lead. Busher now can give the Red Wings the lead. First, the pickoff right to second, and McDonald dives in with a shortstop Richard covering. 6-6 six, six yeah. game in the seventh. Well, that, that base hit and that run takes Lariano off the hook. The Broadway delivery, check swing and a change up to the outside. No swing for Busher. 
1-0 on Bryant. Wings closer Tim Leahy now starting to tune up. Should the Red Wings take the lead? Broadway, after a long hold, cranks it home. Busher takes a fastball right down the middle. One ball, one strike. Still no one warming in the bullpen for Charlotte. That's amazing to me. I mean, we haven't seen one pitch. They didn't. They haven't stirred very much in this whole game. The pitch to Busher's lofted foul way off to the third base side. And a ball and two strikes now for Brian. Brian looked like he was trying to go to left field with that pitch. Wing six, Charlotte six. McDonald has driven in three of the wings' six runs. And the pitch, Busher loops one out to left field, and it carries to Cortez for the out. That ends the inning. Two hits for the wings in the seventh. A run scores to tie it. They leave McDonald at second base. New ball game, as they say. It's 6-6 six to six going to the eighth. Well, a couple of Wings players who are very popular from that era came through to tie the game. Tommy Watkins and Darnell McDonald. A pair of Wings relievers, Mariano Gomez and Tim Leahy, worked a scoreless top of the eighth, and the Wings tried to go in front in the bottom of the eighth. 6-6 six, six, tie game. Last of the eighth, and a new pitcher on the mound for Charlotte. It's Matt Anderson. Slender righty and the pitch to Garrett Jones. Hit in the air to left center field to drive out toward the fence. And this will bounce off the base of the wall. And Jones is on his way to second. He'll round the bag but stop there with a leadoff double. A two-base hit to go along with his earlier home run. And the Wings could be in business right away in the bottom of the eighth. Randy Ruiz coming up next to face Anderson. You'd have to take at least a couple of shots to the right side to get Jonesy over to third. And that leadoff hit from Jones means that Autotrader.com makes a donation to LDA Life and Learning Services. Ruiz batting against the right-hander Anderson. The look to second, now the pitch. High and inside, look out, ball one. Well, he's just, you know, he knows what the situation is, the pitcher does, Anderson. So he really is going to try to pitch uh, Ruiz in. He doesn't want to give him a ball out over the plate that he can hit to the right side. The 1-0 sinks low to another. Broadway went seven innings, gave up 12 hits, six runs, five earned. No walks. He plunked a man, and he struck out four. Broadway impressed me in this game, even though he gave up 12 hits. He's a battler. The 2-0, Ruiz hits a fly ball to left field. Going back, Cortez. He will make a backhanded catch. Jones already to third, has to turn, race back to second, and he will dive in before the throw gets there. Jones just barely made it back to second. He was this close to getting doubled off yeah. with Cortez making a real fine catch in left. Oh, my. Yeah, Cortez was a long way from second base. He was almost in the left field corner catching that ball. He made a lunging backhand catch on the track. Jones was only about five feet away from third when Stan Clyburn told yeah. him, get back to second base. Wow. And that's why you go to right field or hit the ball on the ground. <laughs> Ruiz must not have hit that ball right on the good part of the back. Because it, it, it sounded like he hit the ball good, but he, but he must not have. That ball died a little. Jose Morales, the batter, and he'll pop one up in the left field. Easier play for Cortez. He has it lined up, and he makes the grab for the out. 
As Jones remains at second base with now two outs. And it will be left up to Sergio Santos to try and get him in. That's why if you try to move the runner over to third base with grounding out or hitting a fly ball to right field, Wings would be ahead right now on that fly ball to left if Jones would have got the third. Now we need a base hit and a base hit that will hit the outfield grass. Santos tonight one for three facing Matt Anderson. He sets and pitches. Slider for a strike, 0-1. Anderson, the number one overall draft pick in 1997, taken out of Rice University by the Detroit Tigers. He throws the 0-1 high, one ball, one strike. At one point early in his Tigers career, Anderson threw 100 miles an hour. I personally saw him hit 102, 103 miles an hour on the radar gun at Fenway Park in 2001. And the pitch, Santos takes low, two balls and a strike. Arm problems have limited Anderson's velocity some since then, but he still throws up to the 93, 94 mile an hour range. Just doesn't flirt with triple digits as much as he once did. He guns it home here and breaks one off into the dirt, blocked nicely by Price. Three balls and a strike. 6-6 six, six tie, Jones at second after a leadoff double on the first pitch thrown by Anderson. 6-4, 200-pounder from Louisville, Kentucky. 31-year-old Matt Anderson facing Sergio Santos. Jones walks away from second. And the pitch. Swing and a high fly ball into right. Eldred angling back in right center. Nears the warning track and makes the catch. And the Wings can't do anything with the Jones leadoff double, leaving him at second. No runs, a hit, one left, and after eight, still a 6-6 tie on Hot Talk 1280 WHTK. A good scoring opportunity fell by the wayside for the Wings in the bottom of the eighth. Both teams went 1-2-3 in their half of the ninth, and that meant extra innings on Joe Altabelli's birthday, 2008. Could the Wings pull it out? Well, the Red Wings will play their sixth extra inning game of the season. They're 2-3 and three in extra innings so far. Charlotte 1-3 and three in extra innings. It's the 10th at Frontier Field, 6-6 deadlock. Chris Getz leads off the inning and takes one outside from Tim Leahy, ball one. Wings played extra innings in it three of the four games in Syracuse on that last road trip. Leahy's wind and pitch. Fastball for a strike, one and one. Getz tripled and scored way back in the first. Overall today, two out of four. Leahy so far has set down all four. He's faced three via the strikeout. And his delivery is lifted to left center. Pridey and Watkins coming together. And Pridey, the center fielder, makes the running backhanded catch. One out. And now Jason Bourgeois, who has doubled, grounded out, singled, and tripled. A home run shy of the cycle. Two right-handers are loosening up in the bullpen for Charlotte. Well, they can't bring them both in at the same time, can they? I don't think so. Leahy's first one to Bourgeois for the infield end of the corners. Taken for a strike, 0-1-1. Former American League All-Star Mike McDougal, one of the right-handers warming up, and the other one is Dewan Day. 
Leahy fires. And Bourgeois waves and misses it. A tough slider down and away. Leahy looks real difficult to hit today. It's 0-2. Well, I know the splitter is a tough pitch to hit. He's got a good one. And this might be it. His two-strike pitch in the dirt. One ball, two strikes. That got a piece of Jose Morales behind the plate. Mm, yeah. Now Jose is going to walk out in front of the plate. Throw a new baseball back to Leahy and try to shrug it off. Leahy throws a very hard splitter. He might have one of the hardest splitters I've seen in a while. Jason, are you old enough to fight here? One out and nobody on in the 10th in a 6-6 game. And the pitch. Check swing and a miss at the slider. Strike three. Another strikeout for Leahy, his fourth. And now he tackles Danny Richard. Yeah, this could be his last inning, Leahy. They've got somebody warming up out there, right-hander. Looks like Casey Dago. Richard 0 for 3. He's walked once today, scoring a run in the Eldred Grand Slam. The pitch, low and inside for a ball, 1-0. Hey, just what you want on your birthday, extra innings at Frontier Field. <laughs> it would bother me more if I was 25. <laughs> 1-0 pitch. That's a strike in the outside corner. 1-1. One one. Is there any of that birthday cake left? I'm starting to get hungry again. I have again. no idea. Leahy kicks and delivers. Rashar shoots a foul into the seats, third base side. Look out. Yeah. And here comes the splitter. Anytime you face a splitter pitcher, you'd like to put the ball in play before you get two strikes on you. One and two. Leahy throws the pitch. Swing and a line drive into right center field. Friday circling over, and McDonald cuts in front of him. The right fielder makes the backhanded catch. One, two, three. Down goes Charlotte. Third inning in a row in which they've been set down three up, three away. Bottom of the tenth next. 6-6 six, six tie on Hot Talk 1280 WHDK. Another new pitcher for the Charlotte Knights as we move to the bottom half of the tenth inning. And DeWan Day will replace Jason Childers. Shoulders win a perfect inning with one strikeout. Both teams' bullpens have been outstanding today. 6-6 tie. McDonald, Busher, and Jones do up against Day, who makes his 17th appearance. 0-2 with a 4.26 earned run average. And I know you were worried about it. There was, in fact, some cake left. Very good. Well, the Wings have three guys that can hit in this game with one swing. McDonald has driven in. In fact, these three guys have driven on all the Wings runs today. McDonald has driven in three. Busher and RBI and Jones, a two-run homer back in the third. Mike McDonald, the hitter against Dewan Day, 6'4", 210-pounder from Stan and Stu Clyburn's hometown, Jackson, Mississippi. Well, it was McDonald who doubled with two strikes and missed a home run, scoring Tommy Watkins all the way from first base with that big double. That's yeah. put this game where it is right now. Yeah, and he missed that home run by about a foot. Day's first pitch in the 10th. He slings it outside and low. 
And it's ball one. Wing six, Charlotte six. Game one of the Red Wings eight-game homestand. Day throws the pitch, swinging a drive on the line to deep left, going back Cortez, and he makes the backhanded catch at the front of the track. Boy, McDonald pounded it, but Cortez caught the line drive retreat into the warning track. That was a line drive, too, partner. Had he lifted it in the air, this game would be over. I'd be saying goodnight to you now. So here's Busher, one for three with an RBI, and again getting hit by pitch. Left-handed batter against Dewan Day. Here's the pitch and a swing and a miss. Strike one. Day with a unique delivery out of the stretch. He takes the ball out of the glove very early and kind of slings the ball to the plate from a low arm angle. Yeah, Left-handers should uh, be able to see the ball very, very well off of him. Busher flies a foul to the left into the seats. 0-2. Another left-hander due next. Garrett Jones. Well, you're right. McDonald just needed to lift that a little bit, and that's so, out of here. Boy, he hit the barrel right on it. Two-strike pitch from Day. Low, one and two. Seven oh five game time tomorrow night. Philip Umber for the wings against West Whistler. Here's the pitch. Busher pops a foul ball deep into the third base grandstand. It remains one and two. Boy, you could see where left-handers would really give this guy trouble, this pitcher. His arm angle, he's a big guy, but he drops his arm down, and he shows you a lot of the baseball. Another one-two pitch. He bounced that one in front of home plate. Two balls and two strikes. A Daigle warming in the wings pin. Leahy probably finished no matter what. Leahy was pretty dominant in two and a third perfect innings. Day fires and Busher checks his swing and a ball that cut inside, almost hitting Bryan again. And the count is full, three and two. Wings relievers, by the way, Gomez and Leahy, working perfect relief innings. Three-two pitch, swing and a foul tip. Busher just got a piece to stay alive. Still three and two. Gomez retired all three he faced. Leahy has set down all seven that he's faced. And the Charlotte relievers have been just about as good. This will be the eighth pitch of the battle from Dewan Day to Brian Busher. Here it comes. And Busher takes ball four down in the dirt. That is the first walk picked up by a Red Wing batter all day. So Urology Associates makes a donation to benefit prostate cancer awareness check out urologyrochester.com or give them a call 232-2980 looks like Stan Clyburn wants to run for Busher at first base so Felix Molina will be the guy who runs at first Molina comes in to run for Busher the newest Red Wing Felix Molina now at first base and Garrett Jones, the chance to be the hero at the plate. Good game for Jones today. A two-run opposite field home run in the third. A double in the eighth. Both of his hits, by the way, going the other way. Jones double in yeah. the eighth inning, hit the base of the fence in left center. 
the home run was not as hit hit as well as the double was hit. He just he just got it right between the outfielders and hit the base of the wall in left center. DeWan Day back to work. Runner at first, one out, 6-6 game, last half of the 10th. And the pitch. Jones looks at strike one. Randy Ruiz will be next if he gets a chance to bat here in the 10th inning. Molina edges away at first, held by Huffman. Day cranks it home, and Jones grounds one sharply through the middle, his third hit of the game. Molina will have to stop at second. Runners at first and second and only one out. Garrett Jones may be starting to get his stroke yeah, going. I was thinking the same thing, partner. It would be good to get him off started because he's been a big RBI man for the Wings for a long time here. He's in his fourth season with the Wings for parts of four years. Now Randy Ruiz, who is one for four. Way back in the second inning, Ruiz thrown out of the plate, trying to score from third on a shallow fly from Chris Basak. Day's pitch. Down and in for ball one. They walked Busher. That was only the fourth walk allowed by Day this season in over 19 innings. Molina, the pinch runner at second. Jones at first base. And the delivery. Swing and a line drive into right center field. Breaking into the gap. Eldred, he won't get it. It bounces by him and goes to the fence. Molina's coming home, and he will score. The Red Wings win it in 10, 7 to 6. Molina mobbed at home plate. Ruiz ends the game with a line drive up the right center field alley. It will be scored a single for Ruiz. A 7-6, 10 inning win for the Wings, giving Joe Altabelli the birthday present he so richly wanted. Yes, Joe Altabelli got that win he wanted on his birthday, May 26, 2008. An extra inning Red Wing win. Some clutch broadcasting there by Joe Altabelli, who is known, of course, as being a very clutch player for the Wings when he was in a Wings uniform as a player back in the mid-1960s. I know Joe hit at least one extra inning walk-off homer for the Red Wings in 1963, August of that year against Buffalo in the 10th inning. He hit a walk-off home run. They've hit a, a walk-off home run or two also in 1965. Hope you enjoyed this Red Wings flashback to May 26, 2008. That win, by the way, started a series in which the Wings would sweep four in a row over the Charlotte Knights. And by the way, happy birthday, Joe Altabelli. All right, I'm going to wrap this up real quick. I want to thank Naomi Silver for joining the podcast and Josh Wetzel for putting together that listen back. Once again, happy early birthday to Joe Altabelli, who turns 88 years young on Tuesday, May 26th. Thank you again for listening, and we will talk to you next week on the next edition of Winning It.